Radio Mystery Theater presents... Today's story is about love and hate. But I have to admit that hate plays a bigger part in the life and adventures of George Wallaby. Oh, I know what you're thinking. George Wallaby isn't a very inspiring name for the hero of a crime story. But then George is a somewhat different hero. He's not very tall. He's not very strong. He's, well, let's face it. George is short, bald, and what polite people call unprepossessing. But he's our hero just the same. And all because he meets a man he hates. Mr. Kipnis, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I hate Harold Buckhalter. Now, George... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Kipnis. I don't usually hate people. I don't think I've ever hated anyone in my life. But I hate Harold. I Hate Harold was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Henry Slesser and stars Larry Haynes. I'll be back shortly with Act One. The time, 10.15 on a Monday morning. The place, the offices of Kipnis and Company, dealers of fine jewelry, wholesale only, please. It's a soothing, pleasant scene before us. The gentle clacking of a typewriter, the soothing shuffle of papers, the subdued syllables of murmured conversation. It's a scene George Wallaby knows only too well, since he has viewed it from his desk for the past six years. Although these days, that view has improved considerably. Because now, sitting at the desk opposite George, is a lovely young woman named Gretchen. Sweet soft-spoken Gretchen, with the long, silky blonde hair, who inspired George Wallaby with a delicious daydream. But today, George is about to have another kind of dream. At 10.15 on a Monday morning, George is about to have a nightmare. Hi, gorgeous. Is Mr. Kipnis around? Why, he's in his office, I think. Well, why don't you march right into his office and tell him that Harold Buckhalter is here. Do you have an appointment, Mr. Buckhalter? Oh, yes. That reminds me. He said something about checking in with his executive assistant. Is that you, doll? (laughs) No. That's uh, Mr. Wallaby. Oh, too bad. Uh, You're Mr. Wallaby, I presume. I certainly am. What can I do for you, Mr. Buckhalter? Hey, come on. It's a small office. The acoustics are perfect. Didn't you hear what I told Gorgeous? I want to see the boss. I also heard Miss Simmons ask if you had an appointment. Just tell the old man Harold is here, Wallaby. Wallaby. Sounds like a guy gargling. You got a first name, Wallaby? Would you mind telling me what company you represent? I represent myself, kiddo. Just myself. Now, will you tell the boss I'm here? Or do I just walk into his office? I'll tell Mr. Kipnis, George. George. So that's your name. Good, good. I'll call you George, and you can call me Harold. Now, you better call yourself a cab, Buckhalter. I doubt very much that Mr. Kipnis will see you. 
Harold! Harold, my boy, why didn't somebody tell me you were here? Hi, Mr. Kipnis. Sorry I'm late. Come inside, Harold. We'll have a nice talk and then we'll go out to lunch. Oh, uh, have you met my assistant, George Wallaby? Sure did, Mr. Kipnis. Nice fella, George. Well, I haven't met Mr. Buckhalter, Mr. Kipnis. Uh, not formally, anyway. Well, let me introduce you. You fellas are going to see a lot of each other. We are. Harold is our new sales manager. He's going to replace old Demetrius. You know Demetrius is retiring. Uh, dead, Mr. Kipnis. What? Uh, Mr. Demetrius died last month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, of course. We sent flowers, didn't we? Yes, sir. Uh, Well, this is our little office, Harold. Small but efficient. This will be your desk right here, right behind George. I'll keep an eye on him, Mr. Kepnes. (laughs) You do that, Harold. And I certainly intend to keep an eye on you, Miss Simmons. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, come into my office, Harold. And you like cigars? Well, what did you think of that? What, George? Did you see that Harold? Yes, I did. He had an awfully nice smile, didn't he? I just don't understand it, Gretchen. I talked to Mr. Kittness about that sales job two months ago when Demetrius first left. Oh, they have spinach steak on the menu today, George. Your favorite. You know, I've been there six years. Six years, Gretchen. You'd think that that would entitle me a, a, a little consideration. Of course, there's the peanut butter beef patty. You like that, too, now, don't How could you? Kipnis fall for a loudmouth super salesman like Harold Buckhalter? Our clients will hate him. Harold says they're all crazy about him. What did you say? Harold told me that all our clients just adore him. When did he tell you that? At dinner last night. Gretchen, you had dinner with Harold Buckhalter? Why? Well, because he asked me. But you never had dinner with me, Gretchen. I have lunch with you, George. You mean I'm more the lunch type and Harold is the dinner type? You know, I never thought about it. But, yes, I guess that's true. You know something, Gretchen? I don't like Harold Buckhalter. Come on in, George. Well, sit down, sit down. You don't look well enough to be standing up. The truth is, I'm not feeling too well, Mr. Kittness. What's the matter? You got a virus? Well, uh, you could say that, I suppose. A, a virus named Buckhalter. How's that again? Oh, well, it's worse than a virus, sir. It's a, it's a galloping infection. It's a plague. What are you talking about, George? Well, I'm talking about your new hotshot sales manager. I'm talking about Harold Buckhalter. That man is plaguing me, Mr. Kipnis. He's driving me crazy. Now, easy now, George. Take it easy. He's inventing new tortures for me every day. He's dedicating his life to tormenting me, and it's got to stop. Now, you can't be serious, George. Why, Harold's too busy to do anything like that. He's out there selling every day. Well, before he goes out there, Mr. Kipnis, he's in here at my desk finding new ways to make me suffer, like yesterday, for instance. What did he do to you? Well, he, uh... He put a pinhole into my coffee container. He what? He put a little pinhole into the bottom of my cardboard coffee container. It was a slow brown leak all over my desk, my correspondence, everything. Now, now, George, why would Harold Buckholder play a silly trick like that? He's a grown man. Oh, is he? 
Would a grown man put a thumbtack on another grown man's chair? Would a grown man leave a message on my desk to call a Mr. Fish at a number that turns out to be the aquarium? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it sounds like harmless pranks to me. And, and last week, do you know what he did to me last week? What did he do, George? Well, I, I was having lunch in the House of Health restaurant. I, I, I was with someone, and uh, Harold came in and took a table right, ne right near us. What's wrong with that? Now, wait, wait, just listen. He kept butting in on our... On, on my private conversation, and I got so irritated, I gagged a little bit on a piece of spinach. And do you know what he did then? Uh, what, George? He performed the Heimlich maneuver. A what? You, you know, the Heimlich maneuver, where they grab you around the waist to keep you from choking? Oh, yes, 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 yes that's a great lifesaver. Yeah, well, only my life didn't need saving, sir. Don't you understand? He just wanted to humiliate me, make a, a fool out of me in, in front in front of uh, in front of people. Now, George, you're taking this much too seriously. I know you don't like Harold. I know you resent him a little, but he's a salesman, George. You're more of an inside man. Well, I I just can't believe that a vulgar lout like Harold Buckhalter can be any kind of salesman. And I wouldn't be surprised if he turned out to be a complete fraud. Now, George... Well, how do you know the kind of deals he's making out there? How do you know he isn't some some kind of a, of a, of a crook? Oh, don't be ridiculous. Well, did you check his references? Did you call his last employer? Well, no, I didn't. Mr. Kipnis. Mr. Kipnis, you've got millions of dollars in jewelry in this office. Now, how do you know he isn't planning something criminal? George, that's enough. I know you don't like Harold, but there's no reason to make wild accusations. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Kipnis. I don't usually hate people. I don't think I've ever hated anyone in my life. But I hate Harold. Oh, well, just see about these so-called references. Directory assistance, what city, please? Uh, 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 Providence, Rhode Island, please. I need the number of the Harriman Jewelry Company. I'm afraid I don't have the exact address. One moment. That number is area code 401-555-6737. Hello, is uh, this Mr. Harriman? Yes, it is. What can I do for you? Well, uh, my name is Wallaby. I'm with Kipnis and Company. I'm, uh... Mr. Kipnis's executive assistant. Uh, Mr. Harriman, do you happen to know a, uh, a Harold Buckhalter? Harold? Of course I know Harold. Oh. Then, then he actually worked for your company, just as he says in his uh, resume? Yes, yes, of course he did. Not very long, mind you, but he was here. Yes, Harold was, uh, was a darn good salesman. All my customers liked him. Oh, that's, that's very nice. I wish I could have kept him longer, but... Yeah, well, how, how long did he actually work there? Oh, about three months, I guess. Give or take a couple of weeks. Oh. Well, if, if he was that good, why did you let him go? Had to do it, had to do it. Like I said, business was pretty tough. We had a rather large and unexpected loss. Uh, what, what did you say? I said we had a loss or a, or a theft. Well, we don't know for sure. The insurance company called in a mysterious disappearance. A mysterious disappearance? Yes, Unfortunately, our policy didn't quite cover the laws. And, well, we had to make up the money some way, so we cut down on staff. 
And, and so uh, you let Harold go? Well, as a matter of fact, Harold offered to quit. He saw we couldn't afford him anymore. Nice guy, Harold. You're lucky to get him, Mr. Gibnes. Yeah, my, my name... Uh, never mind. Uh, thank you, Mr. Harriman. Thank you very, very much. Goodbye. Our mysterious disappearance. Oh, how I'd like to see that happen to Harold. Hey, excuse me, is this seat taken? Uh, uh, no, no, it's not. You're not expecting anyone? Lady, perhaps? Uh, no, no. Uh, why do you ask? Well, to tell you the truth, I've seen you in here with a lady before. A very pretty girl. Long, blonde hair. Oh, well, I'm alone today. Her name is Gretchen, isn't it? Yes. How did you know? And your name is George. George Wallaby. Am I right? Now, well, wait just one minute. Have you been eavesdropping, Mr. Oh, Rice? there's the name. Call me Walter. Well, I don't think I want to call you anything. Well, now, wait a minute. Let me explain. In fact, maybe this will explain it better than words. That's, that's a badge. Shh. Keep your voice down. I'd rather people didn't know what I did for a living. Have you, uh, have you been trailing me? Oh, no, don't look so worried. You're not under suspicion, and neither is your girlfriend. Well, she's not my girlfriend. Gretchen is just, uh, someone in the office. And there's someone else in your office, isn't there? Someone who calls himself Harold? Oh, oh, yes, we definitely have a Harold. Well, I wish I had a Harold. I wish I had him in jail. Did you... did you say jail? That's right, George. You see, I happen to believe that Mr. Harold Buckhalter is nothing less than a crook. Speak about prophetic vision. Apparently, George Wallaby's instincts about Harold are correct. Harold may be more than loud and vulgar, but as George sits in a health food restaurant, there's a strange expression on his face. He doesn't look alarmed. He doesn't look worried. Why, anyone looking at George Wallaby right now would think that he had just heard very good news. We'll find out how good that news really is when we return with Act Two shortly. They say that every dog has his day And perhaps that day has arrived for George Wallaby Sitting opposite him at the House of Health restaurant A grim man in shaggy brown tweeds Had told him something electrifying That Harold Buckhalter may well be a clever criminal The eyes of George Wallaby are glowing if he it's true, George. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than to put a pair of handcuffs on that man. Do you know how long I've been after him? No, no, how long? It was, uh... Let's see, I guess it was four years ago next month. I was working as an investigator for an insurance company. There was a brazen robbery at a large jewelry firm in the Midwest. And uh, Harold worked there? They're best salesmen, they said. Yes, yes, they all say that. And the funny thing is, the next case I worked on involving a gem theft was a big firm in the Northeast. And lo and behold, 
Who was their best salesman? Hey, excuse me, George. Are you listening to me? Oh, oh, Mr. Carstairs, if you only knew how I was listening to you. Call me Walter. Something tells me that you and I have a lot in common. But this, this is, uh, this is incredible. This is wonderful. Now, wait, wait now. Don't get me wrong. I don't have any actual evidence that Harold Buckhalter was behind these gem heists. Gem heists? I'd love it. If I did have the evidence, I would have been flashing my badge in his face, not yours. Yes, but, but uh, Walter, do you, do you mean he, uh, he commits robberies? Not at the point of a gun. It's more like a con game. Inside jobs. To me, it's no coincidence that Harold Buckhalter worked in three companies that sustained large losses of gems. I worked on two of those cases, George. And I smell a rat. Well, uh, why don't you warn my boss, Mr. Kipnis? Wouldn't do any good. If there's one thing Harold manages to do, it's get himself in good graces with the boss. And if he did believe me and fired Harold, he'd just move somewhere else. Maybe where I can't find him. And you really think he's going to try something here at Kipnis and Company? I don't know. But I want to know. I want to catch this guy with the meat in his mouth. Uh, Walter, Walter, listen, if there's anything I can do... Interesting that you should say that. Oh, you mean there is? You don't like Harold Buckholder, do you? No, I don't. How would you like to help me catch this guy, George? Right in the act. Me? I can't do it alone. I need somebody on the inside. And since you're Kipnis' executive assistant... What, you... what, would, I, uh, what would I have to do, Mr. Carstairs? Call me, Walter. Yes, Walter. Look, George, don't you see? Harold won't be able to pull his scam without involving you. Well, he he uh, he could deal directly with Mr. Kipnis. No. Harold always operates with the same M.O. M.O.? What's that? A modus operandi. Modus operandi, yes. He always waits until the boss is out of town before he goes to work. That's why you're bound to be involved. And when you are... Get me in the picture, and we'll nail them together. Does that appeal to you? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, that appeals to me very, very much. A week has passed since Walter Carstairs interrupted George Wallaby's bean and carrot soup with an invitation to adventure. It was a bad week for George. On Monday morning, Harold did Walter a favor and shellacked his wooden swivel chair. However, he forgot to advise George that the chair was still sticky wet. On Tuesday, Harold apologized by bringing George a present, a new hairbrush. George's bald head went pink when Gretchen giggled. On Wednesday, Gretchen took pity on George and had lunch with him. You just don't understand, Harold. He's fun-loving. He is, huh? Well, he just has a well-developed sense of humor. Oh, is that what you call it? Shellacking my chair, ruining my files? Oh, you don't know if he did that. Of course he did. Gretchen, that man has been making my life miserable ever since he came to Kiptis and Company. But why would he do that? Because, because he's... Well, that's the kind of person he is. Among... Among other things. What other things? Oh, never mind. George... Do you know something I don't know? Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Well? Oh, what, what is it? I can't tell you. No. Well, I could always find out for myself. 
I can ask Harold at dinner. All right. I'll tell you. But you have to promise not to breathe a word. Oh, I promise. Uh, uh, Gretchen. Harold, I'll call her, may be a jewel thief. Oh, George. What an awful thing to say. Well, it might be true, Gretchen. I have inside information. What you have is a grudge. Well, maybe so, but there's more to that guy than meets the eye. Oh, how exciting. Is that all you can say? But, but it is exciting. I mean, I thought Harold was just a fun person. But a jewel thief. You know, you know something, Gretchen? I think you like him better now. Oh, you have to admit, George, these international jewel thieves are so fascinating. I didn't say he was international. I said he was just a local jewel thief. Oh, but just the same. There's, there's something so glamorous about it. Don't you think? Oh, we'll see how glamorous he looks when I put him behind bars. But the days passed slowly and nothing exciting happened at the offices of Kipnis and Company. Except that Gretchen seemed even more impressed by the dashing Harold Buckhalter than ever before. Then it happened. The detective, Walter Carstairs, had told him that Harold rarely made his move until the boss was out of the office. Preferably out of town. George, I'm going to the Far East on my annual buying trip. Uh, yes, Mr. Kipnis, how long will you be gone this time? A couple of weeks. First stop, Hong Kong, then I'm going to try to get over to Canton and maybe Peking. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You'll see about plane tickets, hotel reservations, ground transportation. Yes, sir. You'll come to my place tomorrow and pack. Oh, yes, sir, as usual. And, of course, you'll take Fifi again. Oh, do, do I have to, Mr. Kipnis? Well, you know Mrs. Kipnis doesn't want to put her dog in any kennel. Yes, sir. And don't forget about watering the plants. Miss Kipnis will give you the schedule. Yes, sir. She'll also give you a list of TV programs to tape. Oh, naturally, sir. And don't forget about picking up the kids after school like you always do. Well, now that they're both in college, Mr. Kipnis, don't you think that maybe... They... Well, what are you waiting for, George? You've got things to do. Oh, yes, Mr. Kipnis. But this was one year that George didn't really mind doing all those things for Mr. Kipnis. Because it would mean that the boss would be out of the office. And that Harold Buckhalter, local jewel thief, might make his big move. Then, sure enough, only six days after his departure, Mr. Kipnis's fair-haired boy, Harold, walked up to George's desk, waving a yellow rectangle of paper. Hey, George! George, look at this! Huh? What is it? Look, it's a cable from the old man from Hong Kong. He wants me to show the Contessa collection. The Contessa? You must be kidding. Why would I kid you, George? Here's the cable. Well, well that's ridiculous. Mr. Kipnis would never... Never what? The collection's for sale, isn't it? That's why we have it on consignment. So go on, George. Get it for no, me. No, I, 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 I can't. I, I just can't. Look, read it yourself, huh? All right, George, I'll read it for you. Show Contessa Collection. Arnold Rutherford. Hotel Woodard. Soonest. Sending Wallaby authorization today. Listen, I didn't receive any authorization. You haven't even looked at your mail yet, George. Oh, yes. Let's see. Let's see. Well, what's that? Huh? What's that under there? Eh, looks like another cable gram to me. Yes. Yes, it is. 
Uh, well, this, this constitutes authorization. Give Buckhalter Contessa Collection for sales call. Kipnis. Well, there you go, George. So, hand over this Contessa Collection, whatever that is. Do you... Do you mean you don't even know? Why should I? Well, it's the most precious collection in the, in the entire catalog. No kidding. What's in it? Well, there, there, there are 13 high-quality blue-white diamonds. They were originally part of a necklace worn by an Italian countess of the last century. Wow. She must have been a pip. Well, Mr. Kipnis has had this collection on consignment for the last two years. Couldn't unload him, huh? Well, don't worry, Georgie. Super salesman is here. No, you uh, don't understand. The diamonds are virtually flawless, perfectly matched. Well, they could have been sold individually a hundred times, but the owner refuses to sell the gems separately. Okay, so I'll sell the whole bunch of them to this guy, uh, Rutherford. And, uh, just who is Rutherford? One of my contacts. Don't worry about that, Georgie. Just get the stuff out of the vault. I, uh, assume this, uh, contact is coming here? No, no, no. I'm bringing the collection to his hotel. Oh, well, you, you can't do that, Harold. Why not? Because, because it's against company policy. No one is allowed to leave with more than a few thousand dollars worth of samples. And just one of the diamonds in the collection is worth at least eighty to a hundred thousand. George, will you stop giving me a hard time? You saw the old man's cable, so don't yammer at me about company policy. Now, this this is quite a responsibility, Harold. Maybe, maybe I should call Mr. Kipnis in Hong Kong. Now, look, George, if Kipnis wanted to give you the instructions by phone, he would have called. Besides, he never spends more than a couple of days in these places. He has a lot of territory to cover in two weeks. Well, anyone could have a cable sent. Who else do you know named Kipnis in Hong Kong? Come on, George. My client is waiting for me. Get in there and get those diamonds. Very well. But it isn't in the outside vault. Mr. Kipnis keeps them in his private safe in his office. Excuse me. He's in the Far East. He's traveling. There, there were two cablegrams. Phonies, George. Take my word for it. He probably has a Confederate send them. Yes, yes, I'm sure of that. Mr. Kipnis would never, never let that collection out of his office. He never lets anyone ever show it but himself. Sounds like our boy is making his move. Well, well what should I do, Walter? I can't possibly give him the diamonds. I know that it'll be the last we see of him. Give them to him, George. What? What did you say? Give him those rocks. It's the only way we're going to catch this guy red-handed. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. Oh, of course you can do it. Believe me, he won't get very far with them. Well, if he got away with this before... He didn't have me on his tail. This time will be different, I promise. Now, here's what you do. Stall him for about half an hour. That's how long it'll take for me to get in front of your building. When he comes out with the goods, I'll be there. No, no, I won't. Don't you want to see justice done, George? Well, I can't possibly release all those valuable diamonds. Don't you want to see that phony behind bars where he belongs? Yes, of course I do, but you I don't can't... like the guy, do you, George? I hate Harold. Then what are you waiting for, George? Yes, yes, you're right. You're right, Walter. It's the best way. 
I'll give him the diamonds, but I'm going with him to meet this customer. I, I want to see this arrest for myself. No, George, that's no good. You'll scare him off. Well, just the same, Mr. Carstairs. If I'm going to do this thing, I will have to be part of the action. You really are a good citizen, George. It has nothing to do with the diamonds. I want to see those handcuffs go on because I hate Harold. And so, in the next few minutes, George Wallaby is going to get his chance for revenge. Of course, at the same time, Harold Buckhalter is going to get his chance at several hundred thousand dollars worth of diamonds. Which one of them is going to be the happy man? We'll find out when we return with Act Three. crisis in the offices of Kipnis and Company Wholesale Jewelers, a moment that George Wallaby will look upon as the turning point of his life. He has made a fateful decision, and now there is no going back. As he steps out of the private office of his employer, Mr. Kipnis, there is a flat steel box in his hand, and Harold Buckhalter looks at the box and smiles. Well, now, that's being sensible, George. Mr. Kipnis would have been very upset if you hadn't listened to him. Yes, we uh, wouldn't want to upset Mr. Kipnis, would we? No, George, we wouldn't. Well, hand it over. No, 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 it's quite all right. I'll be glad to carry them. You're really sure you want to do this, huh? Come along with me. Well, why not? Uh, you can tell Mr. Rutherford that I am your assistant. That's the way you treat me around here, isn't it? All right, George, if that's the only way you'll have it, let's go. Oh, uh... Just one moment, I want to tell Gretchen something. Oh, uh, Gretchen, baby. Yes, Harold? Hey, I'm expecting a call from London this afternoon, maybe one from Marrakesh. Tell them I'll call back in a couple hours. Yes, Harold? And don't forget about tonight. I just got the tickets. Fifth row center. Oh, I won't forget. Now we go back to my place later and uh, listen to my new stereo, huh? Well, George, ready to leave? Oh, yes, I'm ready, you don't know how ready I am. It was exactly 25 minutes since George's last word with Walter Carstairs when he and Harold emerged into the street. His heart beating twice as fast as normally, George clutched the flat steel box against his chest as Harold deftly waved a taxi to a stop against the curb. George looked about for Walter Carstairs but there was no sign of the detective, and he began to wonder if he had made it on time. Hotel Woodard, please. Nervously, George looked out the rear window to try and catch a glimpse of Carstairs' trailing vehicle. He saw nothing, but he felt sure that the detective was behind him. He just had to be. You don't trust me, do you, George? Uh, wh why? Why do you say that? Uh, that's the reason you came along with me, obviously. You thought I might do something foolish, like walk off with a diamond. Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't think any such thing. Yeah, I could see from the way you looked at those cablegrams. You thought they just might be a fake, didn't you? Certainly not. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you were hoping they were a fake, George. And I'll bet you're hoping there ain't a Mr. Rutherford at the hotel, am I right? No, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Harold. Tell me something. 
Why do you keep looking out the back window? Out uh, the back? Oh, well, it's, uh, it's just a habit. That's a habit of mine. I'm always a bit nervous when I'm carrying so much, uh, so much precious merchandise. Oh. Well, I can help make you less nervous, George. Give the box to me. I know. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, here we are. Um, there you go, buddy. Well, are you all set, George? All set. As they enter the lobby of the Hotel Devonshire, poor George Wallaby's knees are shaking so hard he can hardly navigate across the thick carpet. There is still no sign of Walter Carstairs. And for a depressing moment, George wonders if the detective has been mistaken. If the cablegram was indeed genuine. If there really is a Mr. Rutherford in a hotel room upstairs, waiting to make an offer on the most precious gems in the Kittness and Company inventory. One moment, George. I'll have to use the uh, house phone. Tell, uh, tell Rutherford that we're here. Oh, uh, Mr. Rutherford, please. I think the room number is uh, 811. George's heart is beating faster than ever. Is there really a Rutherford? Is he a genuine customer? Or perhaps a confederate of Harold Buckhalter? If he goes upstairs with Harold, will his life be in danger? George's hand on the flat steel box becomes slippery with perspiration, and there is still no sign of Walter Carstairs. But then... Oh, George, huh? He, uh, he wants me to come up alone. What? Rutherford. He wants me to come upstairs by myself. Uh, with the diamonds, of course. Well, I, I told you I can't permit it. Rutherford's a very private person. He doesn't like a lot of people around. Now, come on, George, give me the box. No, I won't do it. He's only going to be in town one day. Now, if he doesn't see the Contessa collection right now, we lose the sale. Well, I can't. I still, I still... Sorry, George. It just has to be this way. Hey, give me that box. See you later, kid. Harold, stop. Can't keep him waiting. I can just catch that elevator. Harold! It was no use. Harold was gone behind the closing doors of the elevator. He had moved too swiftly for George to stop him. And there was still no sign of the detective. Frantically, George tries to decide what to do. Then he has an idea. Uh, uh, hello, uh, Mr. Rutherford, please. Ruth Rutherford. R-U-T... No. No, I don't know his first name, but he must be registered here. I just heard someone... I see. Yes. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, my gosh, my gosh. He didn't call upstairs at all. He must have had his finger on the hook. There is no Rutherford and Harold has the diamonds. George. What? Oh. Oh, Mr. Carstairs. Where, where have you been? He's, he's got the diamonds. Harold has the diamonds. Of course he has them. He has to have them, George, or else the whole thing is no good. What? I told you. The only way I'm going to get a conviction is by catching the guy red-handed. And that's what I'm going to do. But but he's gone. He took the box and went into the elevator. He could be anywhere in the hotel by now. I know exactly where he is, George. I know exactly how that man operates. Well, where 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 is he? I'm sure he did exactly what he did in Chicago and Detroit and Lord knows how many other places. He got off the elevator at the next stop and then took the service elevator to the street. Come on, we don't have a moment to lose. <laughs> See you, Mr. Carstairs. Yes, there he is. Where? Where? Coming out of that alley. Oh, quick. He's heading for that cab stand. Yes. Look, Walter, stop. You hurry. Hurry, Walter. Quick. Don't let him get away. Ah, you gotcha. Hey, hey, what is this? What do you want? I know what you want, Buckholder. 
But you're not getting away with it this uh, time. George, who is this man? Is, is, is he a friend of yours? Oh, yes, he is one of the best friends I ever had. Now, look, I was just going to bring the diamonds to the airport. I, I, I found out that Rutherford couldn't wait for me and was on his way back home. I thought I could. Yes, I know exactly what you thought, Buckholder. But you're not going to the airport. You're going with me. Hey, hey, what is this? This is called a badge, Buckholder. And these, these are called handcuffs. Harold Buckholder, you're under arrest for the crime of grand larceny. It's my duty to warn you that anything you might say may be used in testimony against you. Good morning, Gretchen. Is Mr. Kipnis in yet? Yes, he's waiting to see you. Oh, George... Is it all true? Oh, yes, yes, it's true, all right. I'll tell you all about it at lunch, if you like. Oh, yes, please. Yes, I'll see you later, then. Oh, George. George. Come in. Sit down, George. Yes, sir. Talk to me. But whatever you do, don't tell me what a fool I've been. I know it only too well myself. Well... Now, don't you be too hard on yourself, Mr. Kipnis. No, you warned me, George. You told me I was being a silly old fool, trusting that young man without even checking out his references. Well, it wouldn't have helped, Mr. Kipnis. Now, Harold's reference would have been verified. Nobody he ever worked for thought that he was a crook. That's why he got away with it for such a long time. You do, you do have insurance, of course. Insurance? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Why, why to uh, cover the loss. What loss? What are you talking about? You mean, you don't know? Well, you told me on the phone that it was a trap. That this detective, what was his name? Well, I, I call him Walter. You told me this detective wanted to catch Buckhalter in the act. Yes, yes, that's what he told me. Of course, he was lying. He was? He, he didn't want to trap Harold. He wanted to trap me. And that's what he did. He was a crook, too. What did you say? I just came from the police, Mr. Kipnis. And they told me there isn't any cop named Walter Carstairs, private or otherwise. They told me that Walter is Harold's confederate. Oh, good Lord. Yes, they've been working this con game for years, and that's why Walter kept the Contessa collection. Yes, you told me he needed them for evidence. Yes, that's that's what he always says, of course. Then the diamonds are gone? Oh, yes, sir, yes. I'm sure they're both out of the country by now, Mr. Kipnis, deciding how to spend the money. You know what I just decided, George? What's that, Mr. Kipnis? You're fired! I don't understand, George. Don't you like the House of Health anymore? No, Gretchen. I feel healthy enough, thanks. But this is the most expensive restaurant in town. Well, I just wanted us to have lunch someplace special for a change. Oh, but you can't afford that, George. I mean, didn't you just tell me that Mr. Kipnis fired you? That's right. But did he give you severance pay or something? No, not a penny. Uh, you're not upset about it? Oh, no, no, no. I, I deserve being fired, and I certainly didn't deserve any severance pay. But what happened wasn't your fault. Wasn't it? But they fooled you, George. They were just too clever for you. Oh, yes, they were clever, weren't they? I'm sure Harold dreamed up the whole scheme. You know, I know this is awful to say, but 
I can't help... You can't help thinking that Harold was clever. Well, you have to admit there was something romantic about what they did. Yes, I, I knew you felt that way, Gretchen, and how romantic jewel thieves were, that's why I did what I did. What do you mean? Well, you see, I didn't give Harold the Contessa collection. <gasps> you didn't? Oh, no, no. You see, when Harold asked me for them, I went into Mr. Kipnis's office safe and took the diamonds out of the box. And then I put some cheap paste imitation in their place. And I locked the box again. Then the diamonds are still here. Oh, no, no. The diamonds are gone, Gretchen. But you just told me... Those clever, clever international jewel thieves took them, Gretchen. Remember? Oh, yes. By the way, have you ever been to South America, Gretchen? It looks as if the Contessa collection has just been added to George Wallaby's collection. And so, for that matter, has Gretchen. You might say there's a moral to our story. Even though George started out hating Harold, he ended up by being very grateful to her, which goes to prove that you can always find something to like in everyone you meet. I'll be back with a further report on the Contessa collection shortly. There was only one problem in George Wallaby's life. The day he and Gretchen showed up at the airport to board a plane for Brazil, they were approached by two gentlemen with badges. This time, the badges were the real thing. You see, George decided it would be much better to carry the Contessa collection aboard by hand. What he forgot was that all hand luggage went through X-ray inspection. Ah, well. They do say crime doesn't pay. But crime and mystery can also be entertaining. So we hope you'll be listening for us next time. Our cast included Larry Haynes, Paul Hecht, Robert Dryden, and Diana Kirkwood. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Recently, there was a mugging victim, Zoltan Zorder. That name doesn't ring a bell. Zorder is the chemist who came up with the formula. Now, I went through the file. There's no lead at all. Well, maybe it wasn't a mugging, then. It could have been a hired killing. Or a mugging that went too far. How do you mean? Well, somebody wanted that formula. Zorder wouldn't play ball. Some strong arms were sicked on him as a warning. But you know how some of those hoods are. They see blood. They can't stop. A fraud. Joe Bueller. Why? Zorder came up with the invention, but Bueller's the one to get rich. Maybe Zorder complained. Maybe Joe was afraid Zorder would sell it to the competition. I think I'll pay Mr. Joe Bueller another call. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by White Westinghouse Appliance Company. This is Tommy Grimes, inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time. Pleasant dreams.